Father's Day. Uh, how many fathers are in the congregation? Stand up, will you, please? Let me see. Let me ask you if you have a child under uh, 50 years old, you may, you may sit down. Well, now, wait a minute. That's not what I wanted to say. If you, if you have a child over 50 years old, stand up. You, you would expect Don Snow to be standing. Good. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, uh, here's something that I was reminded of this morning when Ken Himes prayed. If you're a dad here and you have a child that, that's already gone out into eternity before you, stand up, will you? Whether miscarriage or whatever the case may be or some other kind of death. See, these are dads that sometimes have trouble getting through this day. Uh, I remember standing with Dr. Ron Allen years ago at the bed of his little girl who was dying of leukemia. I should add, ultimately, she didn't die. But with tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor Rich, there's something very wrong when a child dies before the parent. And that's, that's a hurt that these guys will carry with them and they will be able to minister to other people in that context. Men, thank you. You may sit down. I was also reminded when one of our men prayed this morning that we are created for community. And that is really true. So I'm anxious about you taking these today and these coming weeks to rub elbows with each other and to call each other by name and get to know each other, maybe better than you ever have before. And we will, uh, we will become more of one family than perhaps we have before. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for a day to remember the importance of dads, fathers, and um, you are our father and you are the excellent example. So today, Father, we want to be like you because our kids will want to be like us. So the truth of the song uh, pierces into us and uh, communicates to us that we want to be like you. So there may be some places, Father, where one of us or many of us would say, that's an area I could do a little better in. And so uh, if that happens today, Father, give us wisdom. Give us your word. Give us your spirit. Give us courage to proceed to become a little better in that one thing. So, Father, we thank you for the dads in our, in our congregation, for their lives, their love for you, their love for their families. We ask you to bless them, Father. Make each one of them 
even more effective in their fatherly role. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to mention there's a table out in the foyer with a whole bunch of dad gifts on it. So, girls, you don't get any. But dads, take one on your way to lunch on the lawn. All right? And uh, I've picked a passage of Scripture that you might think a little bit strange out of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter um, 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2. And uh, the Apostle Paul seemed to view the whole idea of, of birthing a church as though he was a parent. And so he talks about as a nursing mother in this passage, and then later he talks about uh, exhorting and encouraging and imploring as a father would do. And uh, this is the passage. It's in your outline. I'm not going to take time to read the whole passage right now, but we will go through pieces of it as we do in the out, as we go through the outline. And I think that I know what Paul is saying in this text. I understand what he's trying to communicate about his relationship to this church. But I think there's room for application to us as he sees himself as the parent of this church, the father of this church. So I think there's room for us to apply how we might function as dads as we attempt uh, in our lives to be more like God in order that we could communicate and minister more to our children. So he is going to tell us that there are five things that he did in this church as a parent in this church. So I, I would say to you that while we are talking to fathers today, this could be applied also to moms as well. And if you're here this morning and you're not married yet, but you hope to be someday, the reality of that is this is good information for you as well. So let's jump right in to our outline. What does Paul say? The first thing he says is that he demonstrated affection to the children, to the church. And so I would say demonstrate affection to your children. And Paul starts out by saying uh, that um, he had fond affection for these people. Now, I should tell you that the Apostle Paul had no fewer than a half a dozen words he could have picked for this word affection. Uh, in fact, you know my favorite one, that word splunkna. That is my, my favorite New Testament word. Uh, I have a favorite Old Testament word too, but my favorite New Testament word is splunkna. He could have chosen, and that word would have fit so well here. But you know what he does? He picks a word you don't find any place else. This word appears no place else in, in biblical literature. Uh, it's found very seldom in any other Greek literature. So he picks this word, homiromai, homiromai. 
And it is a word which basically means to feel oneself drawn to somebody. You ever done that? You ever be with somebody and suddenly you are drawn to them? And uh, in other words, there is a strong intensity of endearment in this word affection. Hamiromai. It is a it is a term that has uh, a lot of endearment with it, but still maintains masculinity and tenderness as well. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, this is how I came to you. I was drawn to you. I will never forget. I went to the island of Taiwan in March of 1965. My daughter was born in June. In those days, the government was a little bit weird. Carolyn was too pregnant to fly, they said. And the baby had to be two years old. uh, I'm sorry, two months old before she could fly. And, of course, they had to give her a whole series of shots and immunizations and everything like that. And so Carolyn came to Taiwan in August. And it was the hottest month in Taiwan. It was 110 degrees out. And I met her on the tarmac outside the airplane. And uh, the first thing Carolyn said to me is, let's get away from these airplane engines. I said, honey, I'm sorry, but that's not the airplane engines. That's the temperature. <laughs> and and she she handed me... This, she was six pounds when she was born, six two. She was six two, so she's about seven pounds now. And you know, I could have thrown her like a football. But Carolyn handed her to me, and I put her in my arm like this, and I threw the little blanket back, and there she was. And I thought, I had been drawn to somebody as far as I could go when I met Carolyn. I thought this was the love of my life and nothing could get better than that. But when I looked into the face of this little girl, I was drawn in a way that I couldn't be drawn anymore. Uh, And I might add that she and I have been close all of these years. Uh, she is over 50 I now, I will tell you that. And uh, we have been very close. And it was sort of like me looking into a miniature mirror because she looked a lot like me. She had my blue eyes. And, uh, and when I looked at that little girl for the first time, this is the word that Paul picks out to use here. This is the word that I think applied to me. So I was drawn to her. The Apostle Paul was drawn to these people. But you know what? The years pass, don't they? The years pass and there's work and there's pressures and there's demands and there's deadlines. And the result is they require more time and energy from us. And as a result, there's this problem where sometimes We forget that we were drawn 
that first time and we're not drawn so much anymore. I have to tell you, we have two men in our family, our son, Rick, and our son-in-law, Doug. Uh, our son, Rick, uh, manages a multi-million dollar company. Uh, he is uh, one of the owners. He is the general manager. He is uh, vice president. Uh, our son-in-law is the general manager for two counseling offices, one in Lacey, Washington, and one out on the coast. So he's constantly going back and forth. He's constantly dealing with employees and doctors and nurses and all this other stuff. But you know what? Both of those men are at every baseball game. They are at every basketball game, every football game, every hockey game, every musical concert, every musical thing that's going on. Uh, two of the children play instruments. One of them sings uh, and takes voice lessons. They are always there. And I am proud of both of them because they have made time in their busy schedules to make certain that they are there for their children. So how do we grow them? Uh, how do we Give them fond affection. Let me give you two ways. First of all, affirm who the child is. It's good to tell this child who they are. Look for natural talents. Look for personality traits. Ultimately, look for spiritual gifting. And find out who this child is. And then, appreciate what the child does. That A pat on the back daily is is very good. You did good today, son. You you did well today, sweetheart. Uh, here's number two. Display your life to your children. Paul says, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart, impart, uh, uh, metadidomi, which means to share, to to share what I have with you. It's like uh, sharing my lunch with you or, or sharing anything else that I may have with you. And that's what metodidomy means. Uh, and not only the gospel, but we also our own shared our own lives. Circle the word lives. It's the word spooke. It's the word that we use in the New Testament for spirit, the very inner being of the innermost being of a person. The Apostle Paul is saying, we shared with you our most inward parts, the the stuff that was going on inside of us. I think far too often, dads don't let their kids know what's going on inside of them. Some children have never seen their dads weep. Some children don't see their dads laugh often enough. Um, so the Apostle Paul says, we shared our most inner being because you have become so dear to us. So dear is the word agapao. It's that word agape love. And so we were sacrificial with you. He's going to talk about that in a minute. And, and, uh, we were, we ministered to you. See, uh, our kids need the gospel. They need the gospel. They need to know 
what God has done for them. They need to know that uh, they have a redeemer. They need to know that uh, God wants to redeem them, that he loves them. They need the gospel. But they also need to know what it looks like. They need to know what does, how does the gospel work out of me? So what does that look like? A proper scale of values. They are watching my, my kids are watching my values. Even today, now my grandchildren are watching my values. How to make good decisions. How to handle finances. A well-exercised sense of humor. A positive, contagious attitude toward life. Freedom from worry and stress. How do they know that they can get through life without worrying themselves to death? And uh, admitting your struggle in your life. They will learn that from us. And when Paul says, we shared the most inner part of us, the inmost part of us, he's saying, you saw us at our best and you saw us at our worst. And it's not always bad for children to see us at our worst. I'm not talking about our worst in sin. I'm talking about when sometimes i got to let it all hang out. Uh, Number three, drive for diligence and commitment. Drive for diligence and commitment. Um, uh, He says in verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you, The gospel of God. Now, what Paul is talking about there is he went to Thessalonica. And um, see, we guys come here to minister and and you pay us. But they didn't pay Paul. He had a job on the side. He was a tent maker. And so he worked all day long so that he could make a living for himself. And then at night, he preached the gospel Or maybe he worked at night and preached the gospel during the day. We don't know. But he's telling us that he worked day and night to get this job done. And I'm sure in this passage he's referring to his job and tent making in the process here. Um, I remember, you may know from comments that I've made, I have had a love-hate relationship with my dad over the years. Now it's, now it's only love because uh, uh, he's gone now and, and everything's been forgiven and, and we're good now. Um, I remember when I was a little boy, like five years old, we lived in a company, a coal mining company town called Wanamie, Pennsylvania. Every house looked identical. There, there was a company store, Tennessee Ernie Ford's company store. Okay, there was a company store, uh, and um, and uh, I, there was a there, we had a big backyard and a garden area, and then behind our place there was an alley, and that alley ran the whole distance of this town, and at the end of the town was the coal mine, the shaft, and my dad would come out of that shaft. All black. I mean, he was 
He was black all over, face, hands, everything. He was dirty as you could get. And and he would walk up that alley. And I remember I used to go back there and I used to sit in that alley by the fence and wait till I could see my dad coming up that alley. And I would run down to him and throw my arms around him and I'd end up being as black as he is. And he'd try to keep me off. But the fact is, that's where I would go. And I re- he was... He worked, he would get up at four o'clock in the morning. He would be at, at the mine at five and he would get off between two and three. And then uh, it would take him an hour or two to get his act together afterwards. And uh, the result is, is that he was a hard worker. And I think what Paul is saying, be a hard worker. Show your children that you can work hard. And both my sons do that. My, my, my son and my son-in-law, they work hard at their jobs, but they, and their children see them working hard at their jobs, but they still know they have time for them. Happy is the family who has a model of diligence in the man of the home. And happy is the dad who keeps the right uh, uh, perspective on that diligence, who is able to... Divide the two. Make sure that he's working hard on the one hand and providing time for his family on the other. Here's number four. Depict spiritual reality for your children. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly, devoutly and uprightly are the translation of the words dikaios, which is the word that translated righteous in the New Testament. So you could legitimately translate it, how righteously we lived uh, before you, uh, and blamelessly, and behaved Toward you believers. Isn't, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that he uses, we proclaimed and we behaved. We proclaimed and we behaved. You know, there were times with my children when I found myself proclaiming a lot more than I was behaving. You ever find yourself doing that? The Apostle Paul says, they too have to come together. I want to tell you what uh, what uh, uh, Gail Irwin, in his little book, The Jesus Style, I recommend it, The Jesus Style. In his little book, he says this on page 56. Education is what we call the process of passing along knowledge and values and the process of shaping behavior. Then listen to this. He says... For the Christian, there is a dimension beyond that. It is passing along life. Only life begets life, he says. And so uh, Irwin is saying to us that we need to pass on to our kids how to behave, what we have proclaimed and what we believe. Uh, 
the reality of it is, is that uh, it's like a coin. Life needs both sides before it is considered authentic. Uh, This is incredibly important. Again, I would like to read you out of Irwin's book. Uh, Irwin talks about his dad uh, when when uh, when Gail Irwin was six years old, his dad was involved in an airplane accident, and uh, he was partially paralyzed. And in the partial paralyzing, his brain was affected too. And so, um, uh, parts of the time, he he wasn't quite uh, up to par mentally. And so Irwin says that. Uh, his dad came home from the hospital, and that meant mom had to become the uh, the chief cook and bottle washer. She became the the person who made it uh, a living for the family. And so his dad his dad took care of the boys, three boys, and uh, his mom was working. And Irwin says it was it was a uh, 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 a recipe for disaster, and. Uh, but he says, we didn't go into disaster, he says. And uh, and then his dad died. He says, uh, uh, we three boys stood in front of the casket uh, and made the following statement to our friends who were gathered for the funeral service. And this is what they said. They said, our dad did not leave a financial empire for us to carry on. Many things that dads normally do with their sons, ours was unable to do. He was unable to teach us many things that a dad normally teaches. But he did leave us something that he had. He left us with a love for God, a love for the Bible, a love for people, an understanding of worship and the inability to hate. We feel that he left us those things which will last. So we stand here before you, we three sons, and we declare publicly, we will follow his God. And I think that when we find ourselves proclaiming sometimes and uh, and not behaving uh, uh, according to the proclamation, that's the kind of thing we don't end up giving to our kids. Here's the last one. Discourage negative influence in your children. He says in verse 11 and 12, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Isn't it interesting that when the Apostle Paul searched for an example of someone who brought a positive influence, a father came to his mind. And I think sometimes I have been the negative guy in our house. I think sometimes I have been the one to bring in the negativity into the whole conversation. Uh, after an extensive survey was taken, it was found 
that for every positive statement made in the homes that were surveyed, there were 10 negatives. That's 10 to 1. See, we, we scream, quit, stop, don't. And it seems like they do it anyway. I remember one dad that I read about who said this to his children. He said, he made this promise. He said, I promise that I will never say no if I can possibly say yes. Now that, I think, is a good positive statement to be made with children. Thank God for fathers who not only gave their children life, but taught them what to do with it. And that's what we would pray for one another, dads. Pray that I can not only teach my grandchildren about life, but pray that I can teach them what it looks like as well. Uh, Charles Francis Adams was John Quincy Adams' son. He was very instrumental during the administration of Abraham Lincoln. He was the ambassador to Great Britain. And Great Britain was on the verge of coming into the 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 war between the states on the side of the Confederacy. And uh, Adams was constantly between the Confederates and between Great Britain and trying to talk Great Britain not to join this battle. And ultimately, he succeeded. The only reason that Great Britain did not come into the war on the side of the Confederacy was because of Charles Francis Adams. Um, he kept a diary, Adams did. And um, one day he went fishing with his son, Brooks, Brooks Adams. This was his youngest son, youngest of, I think, five children. And uh, uh, he went fishing with his son, Brooks. And he wrote in his diary on that day, uh, went fishing with my son today. A wasted day. What he didn't know was that Brooks kept a diary too. And that diary we still have with us. That diary is, uh, is able to be seen. And on that day, Brooks made an entry that said, went fishing with my dad today. The best day of my life. And when I read that, I realized, boy, when I did things with my kids, I couldn't put my interpretation on it because it's their interpretation that matters because they are watching me. And if they are watching me, I want to be like him. And if I can be like him, then they will see a good model. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for the challenge to be more like you. 
to be a loving, compassionate, grace-filled, mercy-filled Father. Thank you today, Father, that you've brought us together like this, all of us together. And as we go to eat in a little while, Father, make that as good a blessing as it can be. Bless every dad here, Father. Challenge us constantly to be more like you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.